And now, Nurse Talk, where laughter's the best medicine. Brought to you by the California Nurses Association and National Nurses United. Here are your hosts, Casey Hobbs and Shane Mason. Welcome to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. I'm Casey Hobbs. And I'm Shane Mason. And we are two of the thousands of nurses on duty this very day. And believe it or not, we are going to keep our day jobs. Yeah, it took us three times just to get to here. So that's, <laughs> that's for sure. So Shane, some might argue there's not much to laugh about these days. With the Ebola crisis in West Africa and even here in the U.S., the ISIL crisis, the robotization of the healthcare system, it can feel a little overwhelming. Of course, that's if you pay attention to mainstream media. But if you dip deep into the Internet underground, and you don't have to go very deep, Shane, you're going to find some humor. Yeah, and the Nurse Talk crack research team did just that, and they found a <laughs> Are they things. in a crack or are they a crack team? <laughs> They're a crack team. <laughs> so North Korea admits Kim Jong-un is sick. About he time. has an addiction. I don't know what he's addicted to. What? <laughs> oh, Air- there's so many things Kim Jong could be addicted to Air besides the mirror. Right. <laughs> And we're going to talk about what that is in the news coming up. And then Renee Zellweger. Is that you? Poor baby. Star barely recognizable. Plastic surgery in 2141. The year, the year 2141. That's what Renee Zellweger looks like now. That's so for sure. there goes Honey Boo Boo. Scandal rocks Mama June and TLC cancels the show. Ah, say it isn't so. Poor Honey Boo Boo. And then we have Evangel- Evangelist. Wow. Can't even say it. What is he? You know, a robot Pat can Robertson. that correctly <laughs> 100% of the time. <laughs> That's true. Pat Robertson calls gay rights activists terrorists. What? Yeah, I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. So, and Casey, what's sad is that our crack team research didn't have to dig very deep to find those headlines. And how do you know that, Shane? Because in the five years, I've never seen them dig into anything except maybe a tuna casserole. <laughs> Thank God it was tuna, not some meat product. After that, if anyone is still listening, we have a great show today. There's so much in the news about what the media refers to as assisted suicide. But to those who support, advocate, educate, and facilitate end-of-life choices, it really is called death with dignity. So if you do nothing else, please stick around for our conversation with Tony Broadus. Tony is the California Campaign Director for Compassion and Choices, a leading nonprofit organization committed to helping everyone have the best death possible. And we'll check in with our healthcare expert, Donna Smith, to talk about round two of Obamacare, the pros and cons of it all. And we'll talk about Donna's views about the recent breakdowns in our healthcare system that have been exposed by the lack of preparedness regarding the Ebola crisis. What is her solution? I bet you can't guess. So we also have health trivia, email questions, and whatever else happens in between that. And now it's time for the news and our views. I certainly like the our views part. So first off, Uber offers flu shots on wheels. This is amazing. So users of the Uber car service know they can summon a ride with a few taps on a smartphone app. But for several hours Thursday, they could also order up the immediate delivery, a winter healthcare staple, a flu shot. The unlimited, no, the limited, that's good. You only want so many flu shots. <laughs> that's right. The limited one-time promotion dubbed Uber Health offered free delivery of a flu vaccination service in Boston, New York City, and Washington, D.C., It was the latest in a series of experiments by Uber to extend the company's logistical technology beyond basic transportation. The idea came from Harvard Medical School epidemiologist John Brownstein, who was looking for creative ways to increase relatively low flu vaccination rates in the United States. Your view, good idea or bad idea? 
Well, I only have 30 seconds. And the first thing I'd say about Uber doing anything is maybe you should first stop uh, hitting and rolling over people before you try to add anything new to your product is what you I'd like to say. Tetanus shots <laughs> yes, instead, right? tetanus shots and some maybe healthcare throw down, uh, some free healthcare if they happen to hit you. That would probably be better than the flu shot. And your thoughts? I, you know, whatever, I'm for anything that gets more flu shots to people. I think that's a good thing. I don't know. Do they have RNs in the cars giving these shots? Or I'm was, not sure uh, how they had it. Or it? you got in and you closed the door and it punched you in the yeah. arm with a or, <laughs> with a shot. I don't know how or, they did that. Uh, Muhammad turned around and just gave you a shot and <laughs> yes. then drove you to your destination. Yes, indeed, indeed. All right. So next, surgeons transplant heart that had stopped beating. This is amazing because, yeah, well, whatever. Surgeons in Australia say they have performed the first heart transplant using a dead heart. Donor hearts from adults usually come from people who are confirmed as brain dead, but with a heart still beating. A team at St. Vincent's Hospital in Sydney revived and then transplanted hearts that had stopped beating for up to 20 minutes. The first patient who received a heart said she felt a decade younger and was now a different person. Now, remember that decade younger. Hearts are the only organ that's not used after the heart has stopped beating, known as donation after circulatory death. Your view, good idea, bad idea, 30 seconds. Uh, I think it's okay. I mean, uh, I just hope that they can extend this technology because my heart's been dead for 20 years. <laughs> so we'll have to see. <laughs> and, Maybe one day it'll And my view down is she me. felt 10 years younger with this heart. She probably would have felt 20 years younger if they had taken a heart that was actually beating. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't say. know. This stuff's all kind of creepy, but. I'm sure. It is creepy because the heart stopped regardless of when they take the heart. They have to stop it and take it out. Right. So to me, it doesn't seem like so big a deal, but I get it. All right. So next, how many people can afford to live? Could you? Hepatitis C drugs aren't the only ones sporting eye-popping price tags. The two drugs approved last week for idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, Espria and OFEV, will cost north of $90,000 per <sighs> year. And unlike hepatitis C drugs, these drugs merely slow progression and need to be taken for life. Mm. What do you think? I think I'm really sick of drug companies charging an arm and a leg when they get research and development money up front from the people who make money from pharmaceutical countries, companies. And then once they package and put a seal on something and patent it, then they make extra money that people can't make for a number of years until it comes off patent. So to me, pharmaceutical companies are the thing that we most need single payer system for. Because they're nothing but crooks, crooks and robbers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> and you're for you, point, Shane. <laughs> I, I mean, I think that actually they have to spend a lot of R and D money, but they I do? think we got to start taking a look at what diseases are we going to come up with medications for. It seems like we could come up with medications for malaria, and maybe that would, you know, more effective medications for something like malaria. You're going to save a lot more lives. So, if we are going to spend that money, why are we doing it on? diseases that it's 0.0001% of the population. All right. Earlier in the show, we mentioned Kim Jong-un, the leader, dictator of North Korea, has an addiction that is making him sick. What is he addicted to? The 31-year-old despot has been addicted to Swiss cheese since he studied in the country. North Korea's state media says he's suffering from discomfort, but insiders are calling it gout, the disease of kings. He limps, said the insider. Is that a crime? Well, actually, in North Korea, it is a crime. <laughs> You're right. Limping is a crime. Is that your point of view for 30 seconds? Because <laughs> uh -huh. mine is this. If you're addicted to cheese, 
I think what you're suffering from is severe constipation. Yeah. And that may be why you're limping, bud. I, I, <laughs> I say, uh, have you heard of Miralax or Metamucil? All right. So that's all for Nurse Talk News and Views. Coming up, healthcare expert Donna Smith and Obamacare the second year. Don't go away. There's lots more to come. Wildfires burn millions of acres each year. And each year, wildland firefighters like Fire Chief James Hall battle to contain them. But they can't do it alone. A single ember that escapes from a wildfire can travel more than a mile. It can ignite and destroy your home, your community, or more. That single ember can be just as dangerous as the wildfire itself. But you can do something firefighters can't. You can act now to prepare your home and your community for wildfire. You can reduce the risk. Do your part. Go to fireadapted.org. Get Fire Adapted. Learn what you can do now to reduce wildfire damage later at fireadapted.org. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Learn more at fireadapted.org. We will not be an easy target. We will never roll over and let pain plan our day, or let an ache tell us what we can and cannot do. We will not linger on the sofa, ask somebody else to bring us the mail, or take the parking space closest to the door. But what we will do is take action. We will plan ahead. We will protect our bodies and fight back by moving. Lace up our sneakers and grab our tennis rackets. We will bowl. We will do our morning laps and bike ride through Saturday afternoon. We will walk our dogs around the block. We will pass up the elevator and proudly take the stairs. Because arthritis can't beat us if we beat it first. In the fight against arthritis, you need a weapon. What's yours? To learn more, visit us at fightarthritispain.org. This message brought to you by the Arthritis Foundation and the Ad Council. Good morning, Ms. Johnson. How are you feeling? Awful. Terrific. I think we could discharge you today. You mean send me home? We need this bed. Here's your keys. Where's my nurse? Gosh, we let most of our registered nurses go. Bottom lines are more important than IV lines, we always say. I'm sure your family can provide you with the very best care at home. My throat is burning. Lozenge? I have shooting pains in both my arms. Probably these IVs. Here, let me help you get those out. How did you get in here? Are you some kind of doctor? Heavens no, Miss Johnson. I'm Ted from Billing Services. I think I'm going to throw up. Yeah, we get a lot of that in the billing department. It'll pass. Get my nurse in here now! Nurse! Don't let hospitals and health insurers put their profits above your care and safety. When it matters most, insist on a registered nurse. Registered nurses put the care in health care. A message from National Nurses United, the voice of America's registered nurses. I've always wanted to be a nurse. In between, do I want to be a doctor or a nurse? And for me, the nursing was the part where they got to spend the most time with the patient. That was something I wanted to do. I wanted to be a caregiver. I wanted to make a difference in people's lives. When it comes to changing people's lives, I think that some of the things we do do touch and change people's lives Forever. Welcome back to Nurse Talk. I'm Casey Hobbs along with Shane Mason, and we are two of the thousands of nurses on duty today. It's been a year since the very eventful launch of Obamacare. We've heard all kinds of stories about how bad it is, and according to Fox News, it is dying, not just sputtering, but dying. 
but there are also indisputable facts not to be ignored. Like, of course, it's always great to unclutter the landscape and look at facts, and no one is better at that than Donna Smith. Donna, welcome to Nurse Talk. Always great to have you with us. I can't imagine there is anyone out there who hasn't heard you on our show before, but just in case, can you share with our listeners how you became one of the most powerful health care for all advocates in the country? Well, absolutely. Uh, good morning to you. Uh, I think uh, I became one of the advocates for healthcare that folks hear from a lot, in large part because of my work with the nurses at National Nurses United and the California Nurses Association after I appeared in uh, Michael Moore's 2007 documentary film, Sicko, that documented uh, my family's demise or financial demise at the hands of our uh, broken healthcare system. So I came at it in kind of a negative way in terms of having to really go down the tubes financially and then was so lifted up by 185,000 of the most wonderful registered nurses on the planet that I was able to really uh, restore my dignity and be able to um, talk a lot about the issue of reforming this system so that we all can have access to a single standard of high-quality care without financial barrier. That's fantastic. And Donna, before we get into the interview, I want to just say, because I know you're now living in Colorado, you've got a very highfalutin and special football team there, don't you? (laughs) We sure do. And we're sure glad that we uh, took care of the 49ers. I have to say, I think Peyton Manning is the best football player that's ever played the game. The guy is a consummate professional and what a great guy too. So congratulations on your team. So that's a good thing. And it's a good thing that apparently he um, off the field leads a life that isn't full of a lot of uh, yes. terrible things. So that's, that's a good thing. Yes. All right, Donna. Well, part of my job here is to steer the ladies away from incessant talk <laughs> of football. So <laughs> <laughs> why don't we get to some of the facts about Obamacare? <laughs> Open enrollment is almost here. When does that start and what do people do to enroll or re-enroll? Uh, open enrollment begins on November 15th for the uh, uh, year of 2015 for those who want to either sign up for the first time in 2015 or want to take a look again at their plans that they signed up for in 2014 and make a different decision or just confirm that they're on the plan that they'd like to be on. I want to stress that those people who are for any reason had a life-changing event or don't have insurance right now and would like to uh, sign up for the first time for health insurance should go to their state exchanges. And most states, uh, or not most, but uh, a majority of states have set up uh, state exchanges, and you can always find where your exchange is by going to uh, uh, to either, you can just Google Obamacare exchanges, and you'll come up with uh, a good list. California certainly has its own exchange, as does Colorado, as do 27 other states. So you'll be okay finding that, and then just plug in, you'll plug in your information, and you'll start taking a look at what plans might be um, the best for you and which ones just don't, don't work for you. Do you think, Donna, that you can get a better deal? So I know somebody who actually lives in Colorado who uh, had a change in her, her in her work life, and they're saying, oh, now she makes too much money. So do you think she can go back and actually get Obamacare, even though she's making more money now? Absolutely. I would check again. I myself, I'm going to go back and check again, because even though I only saw um, tweaks in my financial status 
this year. When I estimated what I was earning last year, I overestimated a little bit. Therefore, my subsidy, I get a $72 subsidy to help pay my premiums to Kaiser. So I know that next year that's going to have to be adjusted based on what, what the actual figures were for me this year. I, like everyone else, have a little apprehension when I go to the exchange websites. That's pretty normal. And last year I ended up being on the phone with one of the people at, at the Colorado Exchange who was actually very helpful in helping me understand what I was seeing. There were some glitches last year that we're all hoping are, are fixed this year, and so it shouldn't be the same kind of problems that we saw last year with the computer logins and the things that were not working. But tell the person in Colorado, definitely go back in, plug in your information, for your current information for this year, and find out, because things have changed a little bit, and the insurance companies have changed a little bit what they're doing, and it's always worth checking again. And Donna, do you know what your income has to be to qualify for Medicaid assistance? It's, you have to be just uh, 400% of the federal poverty level or below, which is pretty darn uh, low in terms of income levels. So um, in your own state, you should go take a look. You know, California, obviously, is a more expensive state to live in. So there are some uh, minor differences, but you have to go take a look. And don't assume that because you're working two jobs, certainly, or that you're full-time employed, that you won't qualify for Medicaid. That probably is not true, especially if you have a family, um, you should definitely check it out. The rules have changed. Now, there are states that, as we all know, some, some very Republican or red states, as we call them, that didn't expand their Medicaid programs, and that's problematic And that there will be those people who will still have to qualify under the old Medicaid rules if they're going to get any assistance at all, which is terrible because there is a, there is a gap between those people who can qualify in those states and those people who can actually afford if they don't qualify to purchase private health insurance, and, and that's a pretty terrible terrible thing. But a related question that you hadn't have yet asked, but I'll fill in for you, is we were hearing going into this election season, and we've all, oh my God, haven't we seen ads? Oh my word. But at first, the, the battle cry of the Republican Party, and, and certainly a lots on the really far right wing, was that the first thing they wanted to do was repeal Obamacare, repeal, repeal, repeal. And now we're hearing this week that the Republican governors are weighing in and saying no. That is not the direction to go because they realize that if, if in some otherworldly experience Obamacare were repealed, that would take away the Medicaid expansion in those states that have expanded it. And good Lord, you talk about a nightmare. It would take away all those federal dollars that came with the Medicaid expansion, and it would throw, you know, we're talking about 20 to 22 million people would be thrown off. Uh, health coverage that they have, that's not a good direction to go. Well, I'm glad they finally got that message. Now, you were talking about the Medicaid funding. So how many states have signed on to include Medicaid funding? 24. So, and there are a couple other states that are still uh, considering whether or not they should go forward because they're finding out, they're actually finding out from their fellow governors, and I think that's what the Republican governors are starting to say, is that it doesn't mean that the evil socialist empire is marching into your state. What it actually means is that more federal dollars can come in to help care for those 
people who are the most vulnerable in our society, the people who don't have any way to afford health coverage. And, you know, we all have listened to all the talk about Ebola and all the things going on in our in our world today and the concern about infectious disease. And whether you're talking about the, the unlikely occurrence of Ebola in our own communities or the much more likely scenario of the spread of the flu or any number of other things, you know, ha- having people, a whole population of people in the lowest income levels not able to access health care when they need it is just a dumb public health decision. Yeah, so now I know you've gone through this process yourself, so what's the most important advice you would give to someone who's getting insurance through one of the exchanges or maybe is a little afraid to uh, embark on that process? First of all, you know, it's normal to be apprehensive about it. Secondly, if you've been covered by a plan on the exchange this year, watch your mailbox. Because just in the last few weeks, I've gotten notices, one from Kaiser and one from Delta Dental, who provides my dental insurance. And they told me they have to, by law, by Obamacare law, they have to tell you what changes are coming in the coming year to the plan that you have. Um, For me, it was a little troubling that some of the benefits under my dental are going going to have a higher deductible and higher co-insurance. So even though my premium's not going up, what's covered is, is going to shrink. So I either have to beef up that coverage. Uh, similarly, with my Kaiser plan, there are going to be some changes there that may maybe make it important for me to purchase a different policy. I also watched this year, and everyone should watch that for themselves, that I purchased a silver plan on the exchange last December, and I think I, I would have been wiser to get the gold or the platinum. I couldn't really afford the platinum plan, but now in looking back, the platinum's the highest level. Now in looking back and looking at what happened to us with health care costs and out-of-pockets and deductibles, I would have been ahead of the game to pay that extra as awful as it would have been to absorb another $150 a month. It would have been smarter. It would have been wiser in the long run to have a lower overall deductible. So look at what your experience was this year, not only with paying premiums but your out-of-pocket costs. Know that it's normal to be apprehensive and be prepared. First of all, November 15th and 16th is going to be the crowded time, so maybe wait a day or two after that, but don't wait too long. And then if you're confused or you don't know or what the information is telling you, get on the phone. Spend that time to get on the phone with somebody from your state exchange or the federal exchange if your state doesn't have one, and they're trained to talk you through what you're looking at. And, and make a dis- make a wise, informed decision. I think that's really good advice. Now, Donna, I want to go back to something you said because I, it's just hard for me to wrap my brain about this. Um, so the, the only 24 states opted for this Medicaid expansion, and it's federal dollars, as you said, pumped into that state. So I do not understand why any state would say no to those federal dollars because not only does it help the people uh, at the bottom, but it helps the overall state by pouring, uh, you know, money and resources into the state. Why would somebody say no to that? Because it's America. We're going to do what we want, damn it. It's, That's such, why. it's such a conundrum. It's a bias. You know, it's this long-standing bias that many 
um, people politically and philosophically have in this country against helping those who are what they consider taking advantage of too many entitlement programs or too many uh, government handouts as they like to look at them. All right, Donna, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for all your hard work at fighting that good cause of single-payer system, which is what we all need and want. We appreciate your time. Absolutely. Take care and thanks. Thanks. We've been talking with Donna Smith. Donna is the Executive Director of Healthcare for All Colorado, as well as a leader in the National Healthcare for All movement. For more information about Obamacare, visit www.healthcare.com. Gov, or visit nursetalksite.com. There's much more in the news about what the media refers to as assisted suicide, but those who support, advocate, educate, and facilitate end-of-life choices, it is really called death with dignity. A great conversation about that topic is coming up. You're listening to Nurse Talk, where laughter really is the best medicine. Stay tuned. Packers. Vikings. Red State. Blue State. We come from different places. Uptown. Downtown. We come to different conclusions. Half empty. Half full. But no matter how different we are, we're all connected, and we can all make a difference. That's why United Way brings people, expertise, and resources together to improve the education, income, and health of our communities, the building blocks for a better life. When we live united, our efforts, magnified by others, add up to real change. Children succeed in school, families gain financial stability, the health of our neighbors improves, and suddenly, so do our communities. But real change won't happen without you. Live Live united. So let's look beyond our differences. Live Live united. One by one, let's make a difference. Let's reach out a hand to one and influence the condition of all. (laughs) Live Live united. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Sign up today at liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Dave, what are you doing? Just sending a gift to Dave2037. Who? Me in the future. I save a little money from every paycheck as a gift to Dave2037, so he can spend it on things like anti-gravity boots or a hologram Doberman. Something cool like that. I think Dave2037 deserves it. He worked hard. What are you getting Steve2037? I guess I was thinking Steve2037 would just fend for himself. Well, all right, but don't expect to be borrowing my anti-gravity boots. You want to have money in your future? You got to start saving now. Putting some money from every paycheck into a savings account or contributing to your 401k can make a big difference later. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. For free ideas and easy ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. Hey, Let's just hope Steve2037 doesn't get his hands on a cold time machine because he is going to come back here and knock some sense into you. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. I banged my head really hard. It was scary. We were having a baby, but it wasn't going well. I had a heart attack. My husband was in the hospital. I was afraid he was going to die. This really nice lady kept telling me I'd be okay. Our baby was turning blue. I couldn't breathe. I thought I was a goner. Our nurse was there before we knew it. We were panicking. She wasn't. And today, we have a beautiful baby girl. Without my nurse, I wouldn't be here talking to you right now. Our nurse helped my husband, and she comforted me when I felt the most alone in my life. I did get better. Nurses are superheroes. Hello, I'm Deborah Berger, a registered nurse from National Nurses United. In the hospital, your nurse is your first line of protection and your last line of defense. Don't let hospitals deny you the care you need. Insist on a registered nurse. It's our registered nurses who put the care in healthcare. 
A message from National Nurses United, the voice of America's registered nurses. Welcome back to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. Shane, I think you have sinusitis. Casey, you cannot diagnose, treat, or prescribe. Ugh, the bane of my existence, but you can as an NP, so what's the matter with me? Verbal diarrhea. Oh! Give me a second opinion. You talk too much. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> we cannot prescribe, diagnose, or treat, but Shane can, and it always hurts. <laughs> Welcome back to Nurse Talk. I'm Casey Hobbs. And I'm Shane Mason. So death with dignity and aid in dying are not assisted suicide. And as the public and policymakers discuss end-of-life options, it's critical to describe accurately the medical option of terminally ill people self-administering prescribed medication to shorten a dying process they find unbearable. Aid in dying is the most neutral term to describe what advocates call death with dignity and opponents call assisted suicide. It's wrong to equate suicide, which about 30,000 Americans suffering from mental illness tragically resort to each year, with the death with dignity option utilized by only 160 terminally ill but mentally competent patients in Oregon and Washington last year. Here with us to talk about death with dignity is Tony Brodus. Tony is the California Campaign Director for Compassion and Choices, the leading nonprofit organization committed to helping everyone have the best possible death. Tony, welcome to Nurse Talk, and thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me on Nurse Talk. I'm happy to be here. So first, tell us a little bit about Compassion and Choices, Tony. Compassion and Choices is a national organization that works in states across the country uh, to support people around end-of-life choices. So we do a lot of work on uh, helping people prepare advanced directives, helping people understand how to refuse unwanted medical care, and, of course, our work around death with dignity, which is trying to make sure that folks who are dying, who have terminal illnesses, have the option of medical aid in dying, if it makes sense for them, typically if they're facing a really difficult and painful death, um, uh, they have the oper- they have the option to to choose to have more control over the time and manner of their death. So that's a that's a key issue for compassion and choices. But again, we work on all sorts of end of life issues. Yeah. So talk about the distinction between death with dignity and assisted suicide, and why it's so important to know the difference. That's a great question. Um, a lot of folks think of uh, uh, death with dignity as assisted suicide, but we see it very differently. Suicide is typically someone who is healthy and um, has and is expected to live, who takes their own life. And um, aid, aid in medical aid in dying or death with dignity is a medical option that should be available to folks who are already dying. So folks for whom death with dignity is an option are terminally ill, mentally competent adults who talk with their doctor and request medication to help help them have some control over the time and manner of their death. So in other words, folks who use death with dignity or medical aid in dying are all are terminally ill and they are going to die from their disease. They, most of them don't want to die but uh, that's, that's not an option for them. So the options they have at the end of life are really about how they die, which is a very different scenario from someone 
who chooses to end a healthy life. I, I hear the difference. It's, a, it's an important distinction. So, Tony, why do you think everybody is so afraid of this, or most people are so afraid of this? Well, I think there are several things. People, death is something we don't like to talk about. In our, uh, uh, most Americans just don't like to talk about dying, we like to think that I'll worry about that, you know, when I hit my 90s, and, and I don't, uh, you know, I want to focus on living. I don't want to think about dying. So I think just the conversation about death, number one, is very difficult. And then most folks um, feel it's really important when you when you are diagnosed with a, uh, a disease that could be terminal, most folks really want to fight that and, and want to um, live as long as they can um, and have, have a good quality of life. So I think there's a sense that death with dignity, for some people, there's a sense that death with dignity is giving up. I would say for folks who choose death with dignity, it's not about giving up. It's about accepting the fact that you are going to die. And um, at some point, there's not anything you can do to keep that from happening, but you can do something um, to make it uh, make it a more comfortable and less painful death and easier not only on yourself but also your family. So I think it's just hard. Losing people we love is very hard. We don't want to let them go. And so that makes it more difficult to accept that um, they might, that a person who's dying might want to make that decision to go sooner rather than suffer longer. And how many states have adopted laws that legalize aid in dying? And do you think more are going to follow? I hope so. I definitely think that we're going to see an increase in states who allow uh, the medical practice of aid in dying. Currently, there are five states where that's possible. We have Oregon and Washington. Oregon, of course, being the first um, that passed a law through the ballot 20 years ago, which went into effect 17 years ago. And we also have Washington State also passed through a ballot measure. Uh, Vermont is the only state where we have so far passed it through the legislature. So there is a, leg- there is a statute that the legislator- legislature passed for aid and dying. And we have two states where there are court decisions, Montana and New Mexico, um, a little bit different court decisions, but both saying that uh, people have the right to, uh, to choose the medical practice of aid and dying so they can die with dignity. So five states total at the moment. And of course, we're working in several other states to try to change state policy and state laws uh, around the country. So very important. And of course, Vermont would be the, the one state that has it the most together, of course. So, Tony, your organization, Compassion and Choices, po- points out that in order to change the perception, we're going to have to change our word choices when we speak about aid in dying, which doesn't sound as palatable as death with dignity. Can you speak about that? Well, our goal at Compassion and Choices is really to help people face the end of their lives with dignity and to die in a manner that they feel is dignified. And for, for many people, um, so for example, palliative care is an option that it works for many people, but not all people. Um, and so I think um, talking about the issue is really, uh, because death is difficult, focusing on the dignity that people want at the end of life is really important and helps people understand what we're doing. Uh, we're, we're, we're not, 
we're trying to make sure there are options of all kinds available for people who are dying. And death with dignity is just one of those. It's not for everyone, but it is an option that does allow people to keep their dignity at the end of life. Um, and that, and medical assistance is, is, is a way that they have that option and they have that, that choice. So I think it's really important to remember that dignity is, is the goal here. Um, I so agree with you, Tony. And the point I just, in my profession, I, of course, I'm a nurse and I happen to work in long-term care at, at this moment in time. And I don't see this option being given to people. That's my real upset about it. I see people who have terminal illnesses pretty much every day. And that option is not given to them. Death with dignity or even a conversation about palliative care. Pretty much our medical system seems to point people always in the direction of treatment, even when treatment is futile. And I still don't see yeah. today people giving, being given the choice. Okay, here's the efficacy of what we're proposing, treatment, and there's another option called death with dignity. You know what I'm saying? I know exactly what you're saying, and this is why it's so important for us to change the law, because... Right now, doctors can be prosecuted if they um, if they help people um, um, with with medication that could um, could advance the time of their death or give them some control over the manner and the time of their death. So doctors are not willing to talk about something that could land them in jail. And we have seen people, family members, for example, who try to help honor the wishes of, the, of their dying loved one. We have seen them prosecuted uh, as well. So I think that's, the, that's probably the number one reason that's not an option that people are provided. But even beyond that, we have to work on laws that actually promote the conversation at the end of life. And that's what we're, we're looking to do a, across the country because for some folks, just refusing medical treatment is not even an option that mm-hmm. they understand that they have. Mm-hmm. And for, for a lot of folks, they, um, um, you come to a point where we're no longer prolonging their lives, but instead we're prolonging their deaths mm-hmm. because they are actively dying. And that is, that is something that we really promote more conversations um, for between patients and their, and their doctors and family members, we think that it's very important for people to understand, especially before they get to that point, what their options are. And we have, we have worked on laws in many states to, um, to improve a patient's right to know at the end of life what their options are. Um, I would also point out that in Oregon, where we have seen a death with dignity law in effect for 17 years, it has worked exactly as intended, and even beyond that, in Oregon, we have seen an increase in use of other options at the end of life, such as palliative care, hospice, other options that are available for people, because the death with dignity law um, made it possible for these conversations to happen between people and their doctors and their family members, and that is really an important thing. It's just that conversation is critical, and it's not always happening. You're right. Okay, so walk us through this process then. When someone calls you and says they're interested in, their ser- in your services, what happens next? Well, for, so we have um, trained professionals, social workers, nurses. We have a medical director. Um, so if, if a family member or a person who's dying calls our organization, 
they, they don't get sent to me. I'm the political person. I'm trying to change the law. They get sent to people who actually have training around these issues and have um, worked with people in a variety of states. So they do understand the law laws where people are, but they can talk to people about their specific situation and about their specific options depending on where they are. Um, for, for every state, people do have the right to voluntarily stop eating and drinking, and that is currently the only legal way in um, 45 states, uh, aside from the five that have death with dignity, um, to have some control over the time and manner of your death. So that's which, one option we can talk to everyone about again. Which, which is really sad, Tony, that, that we have to go just to that place because that's a very hard place to, to be in to withhold uh, food and water um, in order to, to have your wishes known. How do you think we can change the medical profession? Because to me, there there's the public that, of course, we want to educate. But really, I'm in the medical profession, and it's painful to be in the medical profession around this issue. How can we change a medical professional's attitude about this issue? Well, I think it's like many other issues. The people have to lead, and then uh, the the doctors will follow. Um, We are seeing more and more doctors and nurses speak out on behalf of this option that we know patients want. So that's a really positive uh, development. We're seeing that in California in particular, and we're, we're creating um, a national coalition of Doctors for Dignity because we think until doctors in particular speak out, um, we, we have a medical profession that is somewhat um, entrenched and, and really focused on prolonging lives at all costs, and that's not what patients, and that's not what people actually want at the end of life. They want to have quality of life as long as they can. Um, and when it's time to go, they want to be able to go peacefully. So, Yeah, no, absolutely. That's perfect. So we, we've been talking with Tony Broadus. Tony's the California campaign director for Compassion and Choices, the leading nonprofit organization committed to helping everyone have the best death possible. To find out more about their work and services, visit, visit compassionandchoices.org. Uh, We really appreciate you being on. I think it's really important work. It's really great that we're starting to have this conversation in this country. And we thank you, Tony. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. All right. We'll be right back with healthcare trivia and email questions. Don't go away. You're listening to Nurse Talk and Progressive Voices. Tune in. When I grow up, I want to be a new pair of blue jeans. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's first computer. When I grow up, I want to be a glass countertop in a new home. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's best birthday present. When I grow up, I want to be a football stadium. When I grow up, I want to be a warm place on a cold day. When I grow up, I want to be a fancy backsplash. I want to be a bike that races around the when country. When I grow up, I want to be a bench on a forest when I trail. Grow up, I want to be a rocking chair on when a I sunny porch. I want to be a skyscraper. I want to be a... 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 When I grow up, I don't want to be a piece of garbage. And if you recycle me, I won't be. Give your garbage another life. Recycle. Learn how at IWantToBeRecycled.org. A public service advertisement brought to you by Keep America Beautiful and the Ad Council. Welcome everyone to West High School Spring Fling! 
Alright, I've gone through all the tracks, just move through the beats. Do your thing. Alright everyone, let's hear it for West High's own Brooke Turner, aka DJ Hook. Scratching at my first school dance takes confidence. So we're getting into college. I've got what it takes. Okay, I went through the practice sessions, I slept good, I feel good. We will now begin the test. Please take out your pencils. I got this. We're all good at something. Maybe it's breakdancing or skateboarding or video games. Whatever you're good at, you had the skills to make it happen. And those same skills will help us get to college. Visit knowhowtogo.org to learn what you should be doing right now to prepare for college. Start taking the steps at knowhowtogo.org. I've got what it takes. So do you. Brought to you by the American Council on Education, Lumina Foundation, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. So, uh, Casey, there's something that I've been wanting to talk to you about for a while. Uh Oh, I'm always scared when someone starts a conversation like that. Usually it's my boss. Yeah, I know. It's kind of hard for me to say. So just if you can just try to listen for a minute, stay open, okay? Okay, I'll try to stay open. All materials related to health trivia are the sole responsibility of Nurse Talk LLC. They're not affiliated with any network or stream service airing our broadcast. I object. I object. That's just not how I really feel. Well, as usual, it's all about you, right? (laughs) As usual, it is all about me. So next up, it's our health trivia. Our health trivia question this week is, do you know how Ebola spreads? And OMG, if you don't know now, you're never going to know. So here are your choices. Which of the following statements is not true, not true about Ebola virus spreading? Number one, you can get Ebola through direct contact with the blood of someone who has died from Ebola. Number two, you can get Ebola through direct contact with the vomit of someone who has died of Ebola. Number three, you can get Ebola by being in the same room as someone with it. And number four, you can get Ebola by handling the materials and surfaces contaminated by the Ebola virus. It's all so confusing. It's just dangerous. So if you have the answer to this week's question or you're the first to look it up and email us or call us, we're going to send you a $25 gift certificate to Starbucks. So you can email us at contest at nursetalksite.com or tweet at hashtag NTContest. Our question last week was, what is a staph infection? So somebody erroneously answered. It was a, it was a good answer. Uh, they started describing MRSA, methicillin-resistant staph aureus, but not all staph infections go to become MRSA. That's a staph infection that's proliferated and is resistant to the antibiotic methicillin. Staph infections, staph aureus is a bacteria that lives on your skin, all over your skin, one of many bacteria that live on your skin, and for some reason it over-proliferated and caused an infection. Most staph infections are easily treatable with an with a antibiotic. So we did have a winner. The winner was Peyton Price in listening on Indiana Talks Radio. So we're going to be sending Peyton a $25 gift certificate to Starbucks. All right, so we have some email questions. Thank goodness, Shane. It's time for some email questions. The first one here is, Dear nurses, I am postmenopausal. Can I still get pregnant? I'm 53 years old and have not had a period since May of 2013. I would say if your name is the Virgin Mary, that's true. You can still get pregnant. (laughs) It's kind of a tricky question. (laughs) Um, At just over a year since your last period, 
I wouldn't bet the farm that you could get pregnant. Um, but your best bet is to go do an, to an OBGYN. Absolutely, and they can see what your estrogen and progesterone levels are, and that's how they tell where you are in the menopause because there's premenopausal, and I do believe in that state you can still get pregnant. It's a lot harder to. And then when you're talking about pregnancies and can you get pregnant, well, there's always in vitro, so I didn't know if the person is talking about something like that. Um, but naturally pregnant by the usual method, it's going to be harder for you. But as you say, you're just out of the window of menopause, so it's a possibility. So we go for it. <laughs> we go for it, but I would still have protected sex because there's so many other things that can happen to you besides pregnancy when you have unprotected sex. In other words, all men are cheaters. <laughs> In other words, men, as, as Louis C.K. says, let's be real, that the threat to women mostly is men. Just take that with a Next grain of email question. I'll read this one. Dear Casey and Shane, I just spoke to my cousin who is 28 and she recently had a mammogram. I thought she was way too young to have even had one, but she said her doctor recommended it. I'd love to know who he is. Surprisingly, they did find something and now I am feeling guilty because I gave her such a bad time for having it in the first place. They found what is called a benign neoplasm. Now I know what benign means, so I think that's good, but the neoplasm I'm not familiar with, it sounds bad but can you ease my fears for her? If you can't, then can you say something funny that will make me laugh? So my questions are, what is it? How did she get it? Does it mean she is at a higher risk for other tumors? And when should women get their first mammogram? Love your show, Kathy B. from Minneapolis, Minnesota. So benign is good. Neoplasm is a growth. So technically aren't all breasts benign neoplasms? Kind of. There's a good point, Shane. (laughs) <laughs> but it doesn't sound very sexy. So you're kind of taking the fun out nice of it. Nice benign neoplasms, babe. <laughs> so they're now My recommending. Eyes are up here. <laughs> yeah, right. They're now recommending that your first mammogram should be 40 or after the age of 40. And now I can remember getting mammograms in my 30s and that was what was recommended. And they this is a moving target and they continue to change the age at which you should have mammograms, but 40 seems to be the new situation. And a benign tumor occurs because of abnormal growth of cells. These abnormal cells ultimately grow and produce a tumor. These growths lack the ability to metastasize, which means extend beyond their boundaries. They can be found in almost all parts of the body. Moles and lipomas, fatty tumors, are common examples of benign tumors. And what that means for you is you don't have to worry. So symptoms include pain, itching, swelling of the body part, and some bleeding. Some tumors may grow in an area that compresses a vital organ. This can result in intestinal blockage, urinary blockage, and blood vessel blockage. Some benign tumors do produce extra hormones and can produce symptoms related to an overactive adrenal or thyroid gland. So I think, yeah, I mean, chances are there's going to have to be some sort of intervention, right, but the and they good news is that this is not going to metastasize to your liver or your bones or your brain. You're not going to And this doesn't make you any more likely to produce a um, cancerous tumor. So that's the good news is you're healthy. And yes, you may need to have that benign tumor removed just because it, as Shane says, would grow big enough to to cause you a problem, but it's not really a problem. So that's, that's an important thing. We have with us today Katie Romer, RN, nurse leader with National Nurses United. Katie, thanks for being with us today. We appreciate it. Thank you. It's good to be here. Great. So, Katie, first, let's talk about the petition NNU is sending to President Obama. 
Yeah, uh, so this is a petition that we would like the president to use his uh, executive authority to mandate that we have the highest standards in personal protective equipment for nurses um, and training as well for nurses who would be taking care of patients who could possibly have the Ebola virus. You know, nurses, if they're going to risk their lives on the front line taking care of people who have a very deadly virus, that we deserve the very highest standards. Um, actually, what we see the CDC wearing, we see kind of a difference between what the CDC has put out with its guidelines and uh, what the CDC actually wears themselves when they are transporting patients or dealing with uh, the virus in their labs. Um, well, we believe nurses deserve uh, the same kind of protections that they have against this uh, deadly disease. That's so true, Katie. And I, I have to say I've noticed the difference, too, in what they wear versus, uh, for instance, what the nurses in Dallas received. So I'm so glad that NNU stepped up. And tell us how that all occurred. Well, I mean, from the beginning in this whole thing, the the registered nurses in the United States through National Nurses United have uh, been speaking out about what we know that we need. We know that registered nurses know what is actually happening um, at the front lines of care in the United States. And so we immediately started surveying nurses about whether their hospitals um, had educated them, what kind of equipment they were using, and all of um all of that, and the nurses said that they indeed had not received what they needed to be safe, and nor had they received the education um, or the proper equipment. Um, so we have been incredibly consistent throughout in terms of you know what we've been asking for, and and to be perfectly honest, we've been proven right um, each time um, in 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 asking for what we've been asking for. Um, so I think that it's really time that people in the United States start listening to the registered nurses um, and doing what we say. And I, I should probably step back just a second and say that petition that we're asking people to sign um, to President Obama can be found at nationalnursesunited.org. That's nationalnursesunited.org, and people can sign on to that petition to um, ask the president to do the right thing um, because, you know, the, the CDC can only recommend, they can't mandate, and we believe that uh, hospitals have to be required to do the right thing. Yeah, and speaking of getting the message out, RN and co-president of NNU, Deborah Berger, testified at a congressional hearing. What impact do you think that will have? Um, you know, I hope it will have a huge impact. I don't think we're completely clear yet what the impact is. We've got this petition, and we've got Deborah's testimony, which was fantastic, um, as usual. Um, and, you know, again, it's the same issue of asking the president to um, issue a mandate and really saying, hey, you know, we've, we've been consistent all the way along. The CDC has changed, and the different hospital systems are requiring, you know, you know are choosing what they want to do. They're kind of like picking and choosing. And if they're allowed to choose from various alternatives, which is what the CDC guidelines allow them to do, they pick the cheapest one. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just what the hospitals do. They, you know, mm-hmm. they are really concerned about their budgetary uh, issues and their bottom line, as opposed to um, the the larger patient care issues and even the protection of the nurses. So we've seen over and over again that when given a choice, these hospitals pick the cheap um, uh, alternative. And we are asking that you know, given that the risk is so high, not only to registered nurses but to our com- our families and our communities and other patients. 
um, we really believe that we deserve the highest level of protection. So I, I was just proud as I could have been yesterday um, with uh, Deborah testifying in, in, in front of Congress. I just That's just an amazing moment, I think. Well, it's been amazing to watch this coverage for the last couple of weeks and, and watch Roseanne DeMauro um, hit some of the, you know, she was on MSN and uh, a few other stations. It's so wonderful to see the nurses' voices uh, coming to the forefront and that people are actually now seeking out uh, NNU to talk about this subject, which is really quite remarkable. And I really got to uh, say a major kudos to NNU and CNA for their fight for this, because for nurses like myself on the front lines who don't have much of a voice, so what's next? Uh, I think we keep going. I, I don't think we stop until we get what we need. This is not, you know, for us, this is a life or death I- issue, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, again, this issue just doesn't go away because, you know, of, of, of not having, um, it just, it's not going to go away. Whether Ebola continues to spread or we have more cases in the United States, we still, the overall issue is it, there are going to be potential pandemics in the world. So any kind of preparation that the large hospital systems do uh, to get ready for this is not going to be wasted. I I find that, you know, offensive to think, you know, oh, we don't need to spend these resources because it seems to me that many of these these hospital corporations are making a calculation, um, and it's a calculation on our lives Mm -hmm. that it's not, you know, probably going to come here. So we don't want to put forth the preparation and the and the and the resources to get ready for it uh, because, you know. We don't want to spend that money if it's not needed. Yes. Thank you so much, Katie. I really appreciate your time as a nurse, but especially your time as an advocate with National Nurses United. Thanks for being with us today. We appreciate it. You bet. So, Shane, I did want to talk a little bit about um, the conversation we had a little earlier about death with dignity, because this is near and dear to my heart, because what I see in our culture is this huge fear of death and even the ability to talk about it. And yet none of us get away from it. We're all going to go there. And it seems so strange to me that we have this culture, especially in the medical community, in which at all costs we avoid this issue. And even now when I work in long-term care, it's amazing to me that we're not better at having this conversation. Do you find that, do you, in nursing school, you're, you're teaching nursing students, do they have that conversation with nurses, young nurses? No. We, we have an optional class nursing students can take about the death and dying process. And it's I, optional. Shoot. I think a lot of it is rooted in Protestantism, religion stuff here. I think that I think you're probably right. The, I think a lot of people think that um, if you're not supposed to go, God's not going to let you go. And that if you interrupt that process, that maybe you're interrupting some sort of divine process and will burn in hell for all eternity. Well, you know, people say this to me all the time, and here's what I say. So is God not calling you home when your heart stops and you stop breathing? Now, somebody intervenes and does CPR, so are you not giving God a busy signal? Because if your belief is in God and your heart and your respiration stop, to me, God's called you home. And we intervene in that process over and over again. And so I ask people who believe in God, really? So is is that the thing? I just think that we are so afraid of dying. And I would really like to further that conversation. I like the idea of death cafes to talk about this issue, because I think people should have that discussion, even at our age, even if you were in your 30s, I think you should be having the discussion, because plenty of people die before the age of 50. 
Yeah, I think I think too for those of you that are struggling with this issue, I have a lot of my students up at USF. They um, are required to take some core courses, some theology, some philosophy. I always recommend they take an existentialism course. Well, that's and what I one. find is that almost all the students that take that study some existentialism become much more comfortable with the idea of their own demise. I love that, Shane. Thanks so much. I want to say a special thank you to the California Nurses Association and National Nurses United for all their good work in the last few weeks, for their support of Nurse Talk as well. To learn more about today's topics, visit nursetalksite.com or nationalnursesunited.org. A great big thank you to our executive producer, Patty Lockard, Dennis Cruz and the team at TalkStream Network, Taylor Lockard, Social Networking, and Progressive Voices Tune In, and of course, all our other wonderful broadcast partners. Remember, to laugh, you got to listen. To listen, you got to tune in. Come back next week. We love you out there. Thanks for listening to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. Brought to you by National Nurses United. Check us out on Facebook or go to our website at nursetalksite.com. For more information about National Nurses United and the California Nurses Association, visit nationalnursesunited.org. Until next week, remember, laughter is the best medicine.